basically said, Let, let's not look at the COVID numbers. Uh, let's look at pre numbers, um, strip out the office supplies. And he bought and, that argument? <laughs> uh, dude, we, we were ridiculously fortunate. Whether you're looking to sell your business in the near future or just want to make it more scalable and profitable, Work Better Now's virtual assistants can help you get there. Adding a virtual assistant to your team can help you focus on high-value activities like business development and training. Work Better Now clients also use their assistants as project managers, marketing and operations coordinators, and customer service representatives. Work Better Now clients say that their virtual executive assistants have made an impact on their business well beyond their expectations. For only $1,900 a month, you get a full-time assistant who is 100% dedicated to your business. There are no contracts, no additional cost. Based in Latin America with incredible English proficiency and business experience, Work Better Now assistants undergo a rigorous screening and onboarding process. Work Better Now is currently offering Built to Sell listeners and readers $150 off per month for three months just by mentioning Built to Sell. To learn more, visit workbetternow.com. Welcome to another edition of Built to Sell Radio. This is the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. Today's episode is going to deliver on that measure. Before we go there, I wanted to share a little bit of a personal story. I think I'm the only person on the planet who still buys cable television. You know, like the cable package you get when they have like all those terrible sitcoms and they've got all those new shows and the movie chat and of course sports and the only reason I've kept cable is sports but I tell you I am getting really close to cutting the cord because of course now we can start buying all that stuff independently. Of course, we could buy Netflix and Disney and all that stuff, but you can also now, as I'm starting to learn, buy these sports channels independently, and I don't need to be held hostage, effectively, to these cable providers to buy all these channels I'm never gonna watch. Why am I telling you this? Because no one likes to buy something they're not gonna use. And that includes acquirers. And so when they look at your company and they're evaluating your business to buy it, you want them to want the entire thing. Not just one little sliver of what you do, but you want them to get excited about the entire thing. You're going to want to get paid for your entire business. Yet if they only value a portion of it, that's when you're going to have trouble. And that's actually the experience that my next guest, Calvin Johnson, found himself in. He built a great business like he had had two very different divisions. One was selling coffee into offices and the other was selling office supplies. Totally different gross margin, one different brands. I mean, it was a very different business model. And not surprisingly, when he went to sell it, as you'll hear in a moment, the acquirers were only interested in one side of the business or another. And all the effort that he put into that side of the business was being discounted by one acquirer or the other. Here to tell you the entire story and what he ultimately did to successfully exit both businesses is Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hey, how's it going, John? 
I'm good. I I, you know, I got to let our listeners in on the laugh we just had because one of the things yeah. that I usually do at the beginning of a podcast or before we hit record, I'm like, hey, do you have a hard stop at the top of the hour? Do we have to know? And your response was, yeah, are you kidding? <laughs> this is the most exciting thing of my day. So. I just sold my company. Of course, I don't have a hard stop. It's exactly. I'm so happy for you because this was a long road. Uh, tell us a little bit about when it started. How did you get into liking? Yeah, um, you know, I started this company in 1989. Wow. Uh, so other other than you know one little job I had at an exercise company, it was I actually had another company. When I was 19, I got involved in, um, and we grew three retail stores of uh, fitness equipment. Oh, and cool. I just happened to stumble into it and, uh, and exited and sold that. Uh, so it was just dumb luck the whole way through. But I learned so much about it. I thought, I could, I could do this. I could start my own business. And, uh, and so started uh, Likey that evolved over time. This was pre-internet. And originally, the company was the home delivery service for Costco Wholesale. Um, but uh, we, you know, we grew and changed and it evolved over time. And and uh, so, you know, 30 something years later, here we are, right? So. <laughs> and so when, when, when did the, so for people uh, listening who aren't familiar with like, you, you had effectively two different lines of business. Do you want to describe yeah. those? Yeah, really, um, you know, in the last 10 years, we really came into our own. And so, you know, we're an e-commerce uh, company that, so imagine um, a typical business in a downtown office tower, say a, a law firm of a couple hundred people, and they've got the coffee guy, the water guy, the toner guy, the paper guy. Uh, so what like he did, we, we delivered all that uh, in one delivery. Uh, so really, if you had to break the company into two main categories, it was office supplies, typical office supplies. Uh, and even in there, we had a print shop and did printing and furniture and things. And then on the other side would be kind of all that kitchen stuff. Um, uh, co office coffee, water coolers, snacks, fruit, uh, milk. Um, uh, shockingly, most businesses spend more on the uh, food and beverage side than they do on the office supply side. And the office supply side, you know, the receptionist will nickel and dime you for a post-it note, but they're willing to pay like crazy money for coffee. So margins on that side were... So, so as we evolved, we continued to grow, grow our office coffee division which is a very complicated business to get into, uh, very capital intensive, lots of equipment, you know, $15,000 coffee machines with like robot machines and stuff. Uh, but uh, so basically we were kind of unique in the marketplace uh, and, uh, and that we did both on one truck. Uh, order by four, delivery next day uh, of over 50,000 SKUs. That's so, interesting. Uh, so you were kind of a mashup because I, when I think of office supplies, I think of Staples for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why, but I go to yep. Staples, order my whatever post-it notes. And then on the coffee front, I've always kind of been curious about that because I do see office towers having coffee. Usually my, my impression in the early days was the coffee was so bad, right? Like yeah. I think of it as like the old skating rink coffee where you get the, like, the vending <laughs> machine and like you get the kind of brown water that is like instant coffee, but then it totally revel. It got really high end out of very fancy machines after a while, like in good coffee eventually. Yeah. You know, one of my passions is corporate culture and, and a lot of businesses seem to think that offering great coffee and fruit 
creates culture. It's not really true. There's a lot of other things going to it. But uh, yeah, there's a big evolution over the last 10 years where businesses really spent a lot of time um, free breakfast, free lunches, you know, great coffee, of course, and use it as a recruiting tool. Uh, so yeah. that, that side of the business really, really grew. That's cool. Which came first, the office supplies, then the coffee, or starting with the coffee and you added office supplies? Uh, office supplies first. Office supplies first. And if you go to like Staples and you go on their website, you'll see a, a bag of candy or maybe some, sure. you know, K-cups or something. But, um, you know, usually a business would have several vendors. Sometimes you'd have to have a vendor for fruit, vendor for milk, vendor for coffee. Uh, so we we did it all. We had big big uh, big warehouse and fleets trucks and and uh, tons of inventory. <laughs> it was super complex. We ran twenty four hours a day. It was a super complex business, and it's very different. I mean, the office supplies. To your point, it's very commoditized. It's very yeah. much there are two like they're giant competitors, right? And you're effectively in a dogfight with them every day. Yeah, a box of copy paper. Talk about commodity of commodities, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it is what it is. And 50 pound box delivered upstairs. And oh my God, it was the worst. And then you could, so we, we roasted our own coffee. We got in, we, we created our own brand of coffee and, and you can make 300% margin on coffee. So um, uh, yeah, it was, it was funny seeing, you know, delivering both these things, but we were kind of waning away from the office supplies. There's just so much competition and margin was raised to the bottom. Yeah. What would your gross margin be on a typical office supplies order? Oh, office supplies in the industry. And for us, uh, just an office supply order uh, would be in the high 20s. Uh, And then our our food side could be as much as 100. So as a blended average for us, uh, we were in the 40s. Got it. But but on the food side, it was way higher. Yeah, especially. Yeah. Why keep the office supplies business? Did, did you ever contemplate just shutting it down and focusing exclusively on coffee? Yeah, I'll, I'll get more into that story. When we came to sell, I didn't realize what a big negative it was. But at the time, no, because we really went to market as a single source supplier. So we really leveraged that. Hey, why do you want three different suppliers? Um, and, uh, you know, there was a, some cool studies we would share with our customers about the cost of procurement. And this is great for all your listeners. It's not every one of your listeners should go and look what the receptionist is doing with the credit card. And um, they, they, you know, they're going to potentially, you know, they're, this is my experience. They're, they're shopping around on Amazon and they're finding the cheapest price on post-it notes. And then they're going over here and getting milk over there and stuff. The average cost of a purchase order is $75 because it's not just the time of that person. Forget about, so when I'm talking with owners, I've done this conversation thousands of times. I said, so forget about the receptionist. I said, wait till that PO or whatever reconciliation makes its way into the back office, into your finance department. And they're having to reconcile every line on, you know, uh, a credit card statement. Uh, Every invoice that comes in, they have to log into the GL. That's where your $75 comes from. And immediately, you know, these guys are running out there and they're like, Stop doing what you're doing. Just order from one place, even if it's more expensive. And of course, mm. our, our claim to fame was not only are you going to save on the procurement cost, but then because your average order size for us was uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars in the industry, it was $45. Staples average order size, $45. Ours was 250 So logistically for us, picking, packing, delivering an order, we can be way more profitable that way too. Interesting. This one-stop shop 
value proposition was in years ago before Amazon and before all of these, you know, staples.com and so forth, the idea of a one-stop shop was a very compelling value proposition uh, because of all the things you're, you're saying with such an influx of e-commerce, people ordering everything. Did you see that diminish over time or how did that one-stop shop message evolve in its poignancy for your customers over time? Yeah. Uh, it uh, say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I mean, it was really compelling and uh, became more and more difficult. One of the reasons why we decided to exit, the competition was just fierce. Uh, mm-hmm. As an example, um, a, a, a large grocery chain in our area, uh, you know, big, big stores, and they decided to start doing deliveries. This turned out to be one of the people that, that came in and actually wrote an LOI. Um, so they started doing home delivery grocery of course, during the pandemic. Now that's like exploded and like crazy. But um, out of the home delivery for this big grocery chain, they started picking up um, uh, office customers because they treated their pricing model the same way they did in the stores. So back of the store is what? The cheap milk. And you got to walk your way past the, the chips and the, you know, all the high margin stuff. So they priced it on their website that way. And um, uh, when they came and talked to us during this LOI uh, and, and they said, we have this business division, we don't know what to do with. We don't make any money on this because they had, a, I think, a $20 fee or you know, $20 minimum order. So they said, we have these offices that are ordering like one case of water. And we're delivering it to a down, downtown office tower. And of course, you know how hard it is to park downtown, right? Sure. And so they're like, this business model is not working for us on the B2B side. Uh, maybe we need to look at you guys and acquire you or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there was business models popping up all over the place that made no sense that we just couldn't compete with. <laughs> so Okay. So, but that's helpful for sure for, for, for me to kind of give, set the stage for your ultimate sale. So, so you're, you're building this business all the way back to 89, but over, over years, you build it up. Yeah. And you've got these two divisions, gross margin being a lot better on the kitchen stuff uh, than the office stuff. Roughly from a revenue perspective, not a contribution, but a revenue perspective, what was the the relative size of each of the business units? Yeah. About 25, 30% on the office supplies. Uh, You know, at one time it was a hundred percent, right. But it's slowly, um, ate away at that. Now, just to add some color, the office supply side, um, we could offer 30,000 SKUs um, and almost all of it was just-in-time inventory. So you're not um, stocking so we, or warehousing that right. stuff. You're buying it and reselling it effectively. So our warehouse was full of the grocery side. So, you know, a just-in-time inventory is very uh, cost-effective. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you sell it before you buy it. And then the wholesaler would be delivering overnight. Um, so, and, so the kitchen stuff was sucking up more cash flow. Huge, and the, and then the capital investment in the in the coffee equipment too, and then the repairs and uh, maintenance and parts and things. So two totally different models. It sounds sexy at first on the coffee side, um, but there's a lot more uh, intensity to it, right? And perishable. You know how much stuff you know you, you really got to watch. You have great buyers to make sure you're not throwing stuff in the garbage or giving to the food bank. Yeah, this is a really interesting challenge because because you're right. The office supplies is cash flow positive. There's no inventory. It's 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 Margins clean. Margins are low, 
right? But lower margins. Low, low barrier to entry. For, there was always yeah. you know guys trying to do it out of their you know bedroom and one truck, right? So you, know. you mentioned you you started to actually roast your own coffee. Did you have your own brand that you were offering? What was yeah, that? yeah. So we did our own brand, and uh, you can make big big more. We we could roast a pound of coffee packaged and everything out the door for about uh, three fifty a pound, and you know where you're selling it for eighteen dollars a pound. Uh, so, wow, so you're forexing uh, on that. So what what's the name of the brand? Uh, it was called Cara Beans, Beans, Cara Beans. <laughs> so it was an in-house brand. And, uh, um, but uh, any, anybody that wants to get into um, uh, roasting coffee, uh, there's already third-party roasters. You, you just find one in your area and go up to them and they'll white label it for you. You can, you can do your own cuppings and figure out your brands and slap a sticker on it and you're off to the races. And some people use them for charity. Um, other people just get a kick out of doing it, right? So- that's cool. Uh, it was really cool. I might, I might do that in the future again, just to have another little coffee brand and, and use it as part of a charity thing. Yeah. Neat. Neat. So you've got, it, by the time you went to exit 70% of your revenues on the kitchen side, 30% yep. on the office supplies. Got it. What triggered is and, and how, how big a company was it at that time when you first started thinking about selling, like in terms of number of employees or so uh, yeah, seven, 8 million in there, 35, 40 employees at our height. You know, we never broke 10 million. Um, and, was that a goal? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was definitely What a goal. was it about 10 that was meaningful for you? Well, 20 was, 21, 21 is my favorite number. So 21 was actually my goal to, to really look at starting, starting to sell. Uh, so so what changed? Know, uh, well, you know, for me on my 50th birthday, so like I said before, I I'm, had this kind of passion for corporate culture uh, and also personal happiness and just the, the science of happiness. So on my 50th birthday, I took a month and I went and studied under a guy that um, was kind of a, um, you know, a guru in the, in the workplace happiness space in Denmark. So I hung out with him for two or three weeks. And then, uh, then I went to Bhutan, actually with an EO, uh, on my EO group, and we went to Bhutan. EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. For Entrepreneurs Organization. And, uh, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, you're 50 now and stuff. And, and uh, my wife worked in the business too uh, mm-hmm. for probably the last 15 years. And uh, she didn't like it. She, she didn't like the employees. She didn't, she, no, she didn't not like the employees. She doesn't like the stress of, you know, running a business and, you know, the drama of employees and, you know, you're always having to put on a smiley face and it just wasn't her, you know, we're, we're entrepreneurs, right? So we're gluttons for punishment more than <laughs> dragging your wife in, but she did the purchasing. So anyways, I just looked when I was 50, I'm like, I don't know, it's time for another chapter. Like, uh, and this was pre COVID, right? So and we were rocking and rolling, things were doing good. And I thought, let's, let's at least start looking into what this will look like sole shareholder, didn't have anybody to answer to, uh, didn't really need any more money. You know, how much more money do you really need at the end of the day? Um, so, uh, so started looking at, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it's time to move on and, and focus on some other passions. Mm-hmm. So it was the 50th birthday that triggered this sort of my, my happiness of- trip. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Calvin, this is not the nature of our podcast, but I'd be remiss yeah. not to ask you what drives happiness in a work context what have you learned oh in in work um you know it's really about uh um you know back to your mission vision values like purpose if if people coming to work just for a paycheck or um 
you know, they, they don't have a reason why they want to get up in the morning all the way from the top down. Um, that that's usually the root of unhappiness. I mean, you can get, get how did you guys do it? Because look, like I get it when you're, when you're, you know, like if you're Elon Musk and you're talking vision and you're like, we're going to transform the world to, you know, alternative energy. Like I get how you can be like a big vision guy or gal in that context when you've got a company that's, that's literally changing the world. You yeah. guys are selling like thumbtacks, and sticky notes and coffee. Like how on earth did you convince people to get excited about your vision when you, yeah. what you're selling? Well, we, we, had, we had two things. So, I mean, one, you know, our big sign on the wall was uh, to create healthier, happier, more productive workplaces. Uh, and, uh, you know, by our single source, by giving them great product, you know, coffee and, and all that kind of stuff and teaching our customers uh, um, how to, uh, then translate that to their staff on one side. And the second, uh, we started a charity um, that uh, for every dollar that a customer bought, we would donate a liter of safe, clean drinking water. Uh, and for every piece of fruit that we sold, we sold thousands of pieces of fruit a month. For every piece of fruit we sold, we would donate a piece of fruit to um, uh, um, a, a, a food program. Uh, both of these were in Nicaragua. Um, in an area around a, a open pit garbage dump, severe poverty. Uh, and so between the two of those, uh, you know, we talked a lot about our charity internally and with our customers and, uh, you know, that gave us purpose. So, you know, back to answering your question, I, I think if, if you're working, if people are working in an organization and they don't understand the purpose of the, of the business beyond just making money, um, and that shouldn't be the reason. <laughs> um, then, uh, then, then usually there's deep-rooted unhappiness at certain levels. And then, of course, being able to measure that. So we had some great tools that we tried to be able to keep the pulse. We, we pulsed our customer, our, our staff every week. We use something called Heart Count. If you go to Heart Count, uh, I probably tried 20 of them. And, and Heart Count, it's out of Belarus. Um, that uh, is a great, it's free, I think, for the first 20 people even. So, and it was fantastic, all based in science, the questions. So great pulse to do every week. And it's a great suggestion. If any of your listeners take anything away, cool. go run, go run heart count every week. That's a great suggestion. I'll put yeah. that in the show notes as well. Um, let's go back to the original question. So you have this milestone birthday, you're 50. What, what did you do next? Um, so I realized I needed to understand what it is to actually sell a business. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I never, I never really thought about the day of like selling, you just get into the grind and you just start going through it and you know, it's a value somewhere. And, you know, I've borrowed against my house and I've been close to, you know, bankruptcy the other time, you know, highs and lows of every typical entrepreneur bank mm -hmm. calls your loan. And, and Does so that actually happened to you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe about 20 years ago. Yeah, we had the bank call our loan, uh, our line of credit. And, and uh, so, you know, you have good years, bad years. And everything. Uh, we had to go find another bank and, and uh, you know, was able to take money out of our house to prop it up, uh, you know, to make it through, make it through some, you know, challenging times. So. <laughs> okay, so you'd kind of contemplated this idea of selling, but never on your front foot, never proactively. So what next? You have this yeah. what what so uh especially back to the entrepreneurs organization being in that sense you know so just, just started uh you know schooling myself on what it takes to uh um you know sell sell a business so that was in um 2018 
and, what were the and best so, resources for schooling yourself? Like were there online courses that you took or your EO form mates? Like what did you find the most? Yeah, EO, EO people. I mean, just anybody in your network. We're going to be part of EO, but anybody in your network. And then, you know, usually in business, somebody knows somebody that knows somebody, you know. So in your you case, start asking was, like, yeah, hey, who sold okay. a business? Uh, what was your experience? And who did you talk to? And then it didn't take long before people said, oh, you're going to need to talk to this guy or you need that lawyer. Um, and, and so what came out of that conversation was, um, you know, uh, we, we were, you know, six, seven, eight million in sales. And they said, Hey, if you want to get maximum value, if you can sell something that has a valuation, like 10 to 20 million, like closer to 20 million, you're going to get way better. Um, you're going to get private equity involved and, and people are going to come in and scoop you up. So, okay. Um, so, uh, why don't you go out and roll up some smaller players? $2 million, $3 million players, roll them in. We had a big distribution center, great ERP. We're a super advanced, great e-commerce site. We're 100% online. So yeah, this is a great idea. Let's go do that. I don't know how to buy a business, but can't be that hard. So you know how hard it is to buy a business? So I go to all my competitors, especially on the, on the coffee side, I mean, little guys, you know, they've been around for a long time. Maybe they're going to age out. I thought, oh, this is a slam dunk. And I, I just approach them. Hey, you know, you're thinking about selling and they're like, oh, likey, you know, and, and we had a good reputation, you know, we weren't, you know, we didn't have any, any bad negative stuff. So we thought, hey, you know, come roll in with us and, you know, maybe we could, you could either let us buy you, went to the uh, Business Development Bank of Canada and was able to, you know, figure out how to borrow money um, or they could just take some share, whatever. No, 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 no. Couldn't get anybody and uh, and as I learned, offering? what were you what were you offering, Calvin? In terms, well, of we didn't market? even get we didn't even get that far. Uh, people were just, ah, I'm not ready to sell. Uh, I said, well, everybody's ready to sell at some price, or and they're like, nah, you know, I think I'll stick it out. Unfortunately, the office coffee business, even a small player, sometimes I think a small player might be even more profitable. So I'd say a two million dollar guy with a couple employees could be pulling in half a million bucks. And so he's like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you know, come with me. <laughs> So. Yeah, and just and and let's provide folks some context because obviously, COVID would have sent an office products company for a tailspin. So I yeah. want to just orient people in terms of the timeline. What time? Pre you, yeah, you pre COVID 2019, 18, 19, something. Yeah, like that. so that was uh, 2018, and uh, <laughs> so researching how to sell, started approaching people, doing a roll up. Um, realized that there, it wasn't that easy. We needed people in our local market too. We weren't, you know, we're not national or anything. So it didn't take, it took a, like about a month for us to realize this isn't going to, this strategy isn't going to work. Um, and uh, so, uh, so, you know, went out and uh, started to build a team that you can kind of get into if you want um, yeah. that, uh, um, you know, we needed to, to sell in, including um, uh, an M&A uh, company. So now, that, so it, so you'd originally been told if you can get this thing to 20 million in value. Yeah. 10 to 20 million is like, you, you, you're going to open it up to national players, you know, private, private equity, equity et cetera, people. Okay. It, it, nobody wants to do a deal for a couple million bucks. Got it. Uh, Got it. So it, that's, that's what you're being told. So, so, so you, you try the acquisition that didn't work. Did, so did you like, I just want to, so, so at this point you're, as you said, around seven, 8 million, something like that. So you're just shy of that threshold did you think about just continuing to to grow to get there independently or or did or it sounds like you kind of yeah. threw your hands so, some great advice i got right away is 
Um, so if, if you're marching down the, the road to, to selling uh, and your sales take a dip or anything like that, that's like death. So, uh, and uh, nothing, nothing is better for negotiation or even to renegotiate is, is uh, you know, a nice hockey stick curve. Uh, so you're just growing like crazy. So uh, time and time again, as everybody said, is that are, are you ready to, you know, tidy things up and, uh, and, and just go balls to the wall? Because every dollar of sales is going to equal times your multiple, whatever you're going to get on, you know, so just, just go lean and mean and, and go crazy on sales. So, um, so that's what we started to do too, to make sure that we were going to try and grow, but taking it from seven or eight to 15 and two years in our industry, you know, unless I was going to sink a ton into the business, it wasn't going to happen overnight. So, um, so we did, but it, it, it started to have some, some good effects, but there's no way we were going to, you know, add another 30% of sales in, in a year. Got it. So, so you're, you're, you're deploying two strategies sounds like simultaneously. One is, is to continue to do as best you can to grow the top line of the business. Yes. Is at the same time you're hiring an M and A team. Yeah. Like team yeah. Build, building the team, which, uh, you know, M and A, um, uh, what, what turned out to, to be uh, great advice and, and it was true was more important. Uh, the most important person that at least I found in, in our deal was the M and A lawyer. Mm -hmm. uh, a great M&A lawyer. This is your negotiator. I didn't really understand the role of the M&A. The Somebody explained it to me. I said, the M&A guys are kind of like your realtor, right? They're just going to kind of sell the house. Uh, they're going to go out and market it and find the right people. But once you get down to the brass tacks, they're not negotiating the deal. Usually it's going to come down to um, a great M&A lawyer. So finding an M&A lawyer, finding an M&A accountant, um, or making sure that you know a, a lot of times you don't have that in, in, in your current accounting firm. So this is, again, all, all things you're hearing from your forum mates. Hey, you got to have an M&A lawyer. You got to have an, an accountant that's done deals. Yes. Got it. What, what, so you found this team. Uh, what sources did you use to, I mean, I'm assuming these are all personal referrals you got to the, to the yeah, pretty, team. Pretty or? well. Yeah. You just kind of floated out to your, your industry, you know, to, to your group and, and somebody yeah. knows somebody that knows somebody, right? Um, so, you know, especially I can't stress enough the entrepreneurs organization, right. And, and within there, there's, uh, you know, there's many people that obviously have sold businesses, bought businesses. Sure. So it's just getting introduced to the right, uh, the right people and, and, uh, and then starting to build, build a little bit of a team around you. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens next? Did you, did you get offers or? Uh, so, uh, um, so with the M and a company, then, you know, we built out our, our, uh, SIM, our, um, what, information yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh that was good uh the best advice i ever got from the m a lawyer that came back to really pay dividends later was build out your data vault and that took a ton of time to do everything from collecting your leases and all your contracts like you know all that stuff that goes into it, it takes a ton of time but it, that pays dividends in due diligence later because you have it all right at your fingertips mm -hmm. so uh we built out our sim um, and, uh, and then went to market and, uh, and had, uh, the M&A company did, did great. Yeah. And did they say. give you a sense of, of what <clears throat> they thought you might get for? Yeah, actually, actually probably better than, um, so they, they bought into the idea that, you know, although our company was kind of two houses under one roof, uh, that they thought that 
you know, let's market this. Uh, let's market this to an office supply company that wants to get into food and beverage. Let's market this to a food and beverage company that wants to just tack on office supplies that they're looking to. Uh, and and we did we did feel there was some indication of, of that happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, you know, valuation wise, it was um, uh, you know fair, fair. I was pretty happy with it. Is you know say again. 0.75 times top line as an example. That's uh, what so, they were sort of saying you should be able yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, that's kind of in where we kind of thought. Uh, but their strategy was, uh, you know, do a, do a uh, share sale. Uh, obviously, it's cleaner and you capital, uh, you get dividends. And, you know, it's, it's usually cleaner for a seller to do a, um, a share sale. So we did get lots of offers. Uh, not lots. I'd say, you know, four or five. Um, and, uh, that was pretty exciting, but, but, uh, you know, kind of to jump forward, long story short that, uh, that none of them really worked out because in the end, um, they, uh, they, they all, all these, uh, LOIs kind of said, well, but we like this side of your business, but we don't really want that side. So we're just going to devalue it or, or, you know, we don't want it. Um, and maybe we'll do an asset sale and just take your customers or something like that. They, they didn't, they didn't want the whole package. Uh, so, uh, so we decided, um, because we were doing such great work inside the company at really leaning things out and, and bringing some good people and our sales were doing good. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, 2019, um, we decided to kind of double down and, and kind of pull, pull it off the table and kind of double down on the office supply, sorry, office coffee side, the kitchen side of the business. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And grow that maybe to like 80, 85%. Like no, we're, I'm not going to throw the baby out of the bathwater on the, on the office supplies, but we decided to kind of, I don't know, just let it run its course. Uh, we're not going to. I want to pause you there because I think this is such a huge lesson because of course, so many entrepreneurs, uh, we focus on revenue because that's how we're measured, right? Like you got a top line revenue is sort of how we boast about one of yeah. success. And so you've got these two revenue streams going on, uh, which, you know, gross, you know, improves your gross revenue or, or allows you to merchandise gross revenue. But when you, when you showed that to acquirers, their reaction was, we either like the office supplies or we like the coffee side of the business, but we don't like both. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so did you entertain any of those offers? Did you say, well, like were did, did some like office others like kitchen and. Yeah. I mean, we challenged them on it saying, no, you're, you're missing miss, you know, here's the vision. right? And you're trying to explain this. So most of them were significant, uh, significant, um, uh, you know, buyers, um, but all of them we felt had one thing in, in common, which they were trying to enter B2B uh, delivery or something like that. Um, and and uh, we thought we would be a nice, tidy little, I mean, some of them were so big. We said, look, this is like pocket change, like buy us and then use us as this, you know, little test bed to see if this thing even works. Right. Um, you know, and also, you know, we were looking at potentially other larger, uh, buyers that maybe weren't strong in our territory. They were very strong in another territory uh, and they were maybe moving into our territory. And we knew that was coming too with, with competition. And so we thought, you know, hey, we're turnkey, ready to go. Uh, 18,000 square foot distribution. We've got, we got it all. You plug and play. 
uh, and you can move into our area. Uh, but again, they looked at it and, hmm, well, you know, especially office supply didn't want it because that's not the way that model works. Uh, so we decided to pull it off the table and, uh, and uh, you know, kind of think, okay, well, uh, we'll go back to market in a couple of years and uh, joke's on you, right? Now it's worth more. <laughs> You're going to have to pay more. And, and also possibly some one of these roll-ups might come to fruition, you know, who knows, right? And, and let's get it over 10 million. And, you know, we had one party that literally said, like, if you guys are over 10 million on the coffee side, we would snap you up in a second. Uh, and it's like, okay, challenge accepted. So, so that was late, you know, late 2019. Uh, and then right into 2020, uh, you know, we landed like a nice, I mean, a, a group of like 50 banks um and so <laughs> remember covid is like two months away right yeah, so yeah. this is like january and we get this contract with these like 50 banks and they all want coffee equipment so we take out uh like a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar term loan and and buy equipment <laughs> it's a place in all these banks oh my gosh and, and uh and <laughs> Did you have a firm order from the banks or did they have the wiggle room to get out of it? I mean, how, um, how, how the office coffee industry works is you give them the equipment for free and then you make it back on the poundage of coffee, you know, so to speak. Right. So you're just running coffee. So, so the agreement was, you know, you have to use our equipment for like the next three years. Uh, and uh, sure in there, it says you need to use X number of pounds of coffee per week or per month, but you know, once COVID hit, they're like, uh, you know, you're happy to leave your equipment here if you want, but the banks are closed. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So, so, uh, so all right, yeah. I want to get into COVID. I'd just be curious to know when, what was your wife's reaction to your decision to pull it off the market? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, actually. I haven't really thought about that too much. So, you know, first, um, you know, somebody gave me some great advice too, that, uh, don't underestimate the impact to your family, your friends, uh, your spouse, you know, it just, sometimes you think, okay, work is over here. Hey, I'm going to sell this or something like it's, it's, uh, it's a, you know, a lot of planning, especially if you're going to retire. Right. And what are you gonna do with the money or something like that? Um, so of course she was ecstatic to, to get out. Um, and, uh, uh, but she understood, uh, you know, the strategy, right. Uh, all, all the way through. So although she was disappointed, um, it, it wasn't because every time we would get an LOI and I'd kind of show her and she'd be like, take it, you know, so I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, it's not that easy. It's only an LOI. It's, it's like, you know, we're not married yet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and LOI of course stands for letter of intent for folks yes. who may be new to that acronym. So, uh, your late 2019, you get this huge order from this bank group, 50 machines, three-year contracts. Take us, take us forward from there. Um, and uh, so, you know, funny enough, um, you know, I've got this little side uh, kind of co it's public speaking or, or things like that. So I got invited in January too, to, to go to India and Sri Lanka through EO to do some public speaking and some workshops on on corporate culture, happiness in the workplace, things like that. And I remember coming back, I was flying through Hong Kong, just changing flights and all these people wearing masks and people are checking the temperature of your head. And, and uh, oh, I thought, man, this is like, this is COVID, what is this? This kind of weird thing. And I came back and I was explaining to people and nobody had heard of it or it's barely on the news. And uh, I was like, 
I think this is bad. <laughs> and uh, sh sure enough, it's like everybody else, like March 17th or something like that. Like we had some really large customers. Kind of our claim to fame was like, um, you know, like Microsoft head office or uh, industrial light and magic. Like it, um, our area is just full of like these game studios and things. And they just spend money like it's going on a style, right? And within like a day or two, almost all of them, like some of them are thousand employees. So we're, we're selling like $20,000 a month to them, thousand employees. And they're calling up and saying, yeah, we've shut our offices. And like, you know, if, you, if you've ever had that feeling of like, you know, ice in your veins or like the blood drains out, like yeah. I was just sitting there, like this, is, this isn't registering. This doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? <laughs> like, you know, we deliver to you every day and you're not open. When are you going to open again? I remember the one big one. So when do you expect to be open? And they said, oh, we're thinking uh, we'll, we'll revisit this in January. January? Like, <laughs> I thought maybe a week or two. Like, they're like, yeah, yeah we're just going to shut down and, and uh, get people to work from home. Work from home? That's not going to work. Like, nobody wants to work from home. <laughs> you know? so, oh. so overnight, our sales dropped by about 85%. Oh, did you have contracts that you could enforce, like minimums or... Um, well, the only real contracts we had, like I was saying, is like, say on the coffee equipment. So great. Um, you know, you breach your contract. Hey, you're not buying enough coffee. Uh, they're like, okay, come get your machine. <laughs> so, so, so actually from, you know, March, April, May in there, we, we decided that, uh, um, to go pull those machines, uh, and bring them back. They were so brand new and they'd barely been used that we would rather have them back. So you know, kind of like a repossession in a way. We just went and took them all back and said, okay, well, when you guys are up and running, we'll, we'll come and reinstall them. Um, you know, but imagine our technicians, it takes like hours to get it up, you know, water plumbing and, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now we had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment, basically brand new, sitting back in our warehouse. And, and you know, we're, we're servicing that debt. I can't remember what it was, 4,000, 5,000 a month just in, just in servicing that debt. And we got all this equipment there and we're like, Oh my God, we're screwed. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. So I don't, yeah. I just ask, where does it go from there? I, don't, I, I can laugh. I can laugh about it now. It's getting so. better. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, it, it just like everybody else, you know, we, we just started cutting costs, cutting staff. And, you know, we, we uh, bounced back a bit over that summer. Like everybody, you know, in COVID, people thought it was kind of over. We bounced back about 50%. We actually tried to launch a, a grocery home delivery, um, built out a website and things were looking really good. Um, and, uh, but it didn't matter. The supply chain was so messed up that you couldn't get product. Um, so we just pulled the plug before we even launched it uh, and it stayed with our core. So, you know, we thought we could move into something else, but of course all the grocery stores now were coming online and trying to do home delivery. So we were going to get killed anyways. So we just buckled down and, Kind of fraction of our staff and and uh you know it was, it was you know you think uh okay in the fall when kids go back to school the things are going to bounce back and no and then now uh you know christmas and and uh january and so by january 2021 so now we've basically gone nine ten months of just hanging on i did a pretty good job actually at, at not bleeding too much cash because we just cut cut back how many staff did you have to let go um, well, luckily in, in, in our area with our government, there was all these funding and things. So you don't really have to 
you know, let anybody go. They, they just got paid by the government. So, um, so it was kind of good. <laughs> yeah. Calvin, for, for folks listening, Calvin's in Vancouver and we had in Canada, we had some federal government programs, which basically uh, su supported some of these workers that were in industries that were completely decimated uh, by. So, yeah. I, I know you've got people all over the place that uh, it might be interesting to share that. So what saved us was there was, uh, of course, we're going to pay for this later. And I don't know, I don't want to get all political, but, but uh, the government paid 75% of our uh, rent, 20,000 a month, we 20,000 a month, it cost us for our warehouse. So 75% of that was covered. Uh, and then anybody who we still had on staff um, at the height was 75%. Uh, so we can keep our full-time staff and, and they paid 75% of the payroll. And then the people that didn't want or we couldn't have come back, they were just paid by the government to sit at home. Um, so uh, so that, that definitely uh, saved it. Without that, we'd be toast overnight but mm -hmm. uh um so both of those programs uh really really paid off and there was some no no interest programs and things so so we took advantage of that like any entrepreneur would of course so sure 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 so you're gonna say january 2021 what happened uh, yeah so 2021 then my wife and i sat down too and and uh these programs were were gonna get pulled soon uh, at any time they were threatening to pull and they said if they pull those programs we're toast for sure um, it just is it, shocking that these customers aren't coming back and, and we're running out of pivots. Right. Uh, so, so, uh, my wife and I sat down and, um, and thought, okay, well, we'll, we'll again, pursue two paths. One is bankruptcy. So what, what does it look like to go bankrupt? I don't even know. And, uh, again, you know, you reach out to your people and meet with some bankruptcy lawyers and it's actually not that easy to go bankrupt. So, um, and, and it sounded kind of expensive. So, <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, the only thing left to do is that we got to try and just sell this again. So, um, luckily some great advice that I had, um, in hiring my M and a people is, um, a couple clauses. One was that, uh, um, how did, how did it work? Like basically uh, you can do a deal outside of the M&A company uh, as, long as, as long as it hasn't gotten say to a signed LOI as an example. So uh, we, we had retainers with them. They, they got lots of money out of us anyways on a monthly retainer, but because uh, they had brought some people to the table um, and, uh, but, there was no signed LOI or no deal that moved forward, then um, we, if we decided to call them and pursue something on our own, it was in the contract that we didn't need the M&A company. Yeah. And, and, and every contract is, is a little bit different. So I'd encourage all you to just, yeah, make sure yeah. You, you, you understand if you do hire a mergers and acquisition professional that you really understand what your obligations are to them usually there's there's going to be uh, you know if they introduce you to someone you end up doing a deal with them for years into the future that they would get yeah. commission so it, it it's just make sure that you read carefully your letter of agreement with your MA professional because each one is different and you know you want to make sure you honor honor those but in your case you yeah. were able to to yeah, go our, around our, our MA guys were just fantastic too and they understood the position we're in and i just called them up and said hey look at i i think you know obviously i'm going to probably take a haircut on this um and uh i just need i'm, I'm kind of desperate i need to do and and th there's just no meat on the bone if i got you involved again and you know basically uh, i'm just going to try and pursue this and 
and although I didn't have any contractual obligation, you know, I, I made sure that they were cool with it. And, and they helped me along. They gave me notes from when they were calling some of the, uh, the people. And I just, I just picked up the phone. And, uh, and my first call was to the, the people that we, you know, it was a Fortune 500 company. Um, luckily, luckily for me, I had some inside scoop that I had another guy that uh, had an office coffee company about half my size. And we had bantered back and forth about doing a, a merger of some sort. And he got scooped up by um, uh, Compass uh, Canteen. Yeah, Compass, Compass Group. Um, we have Fortune 500 company that's all over the world in, in doing office coffee and things. So he got bought because he was just a pure play office coffee. So he got bought in December, you know, just prior. And uh, so he kind of filled me in and said, um, you know, this new CEO that came to Canada, he, he's got like a big war chest and he spent it all for 2020, 2020. Uh, but because of COVID, this is like a new strategy for them. And he's going to get another big tranche coming at the beginning of the year. You just got to get your foot in the door. And, uh, and then sure enough, you know, giving him a call. And we had met with that team earlier and they had said no because of the, the, the two divisions. So I knew my strategy going in was when I called and said, hey, great news. Uh, we've broken the company into two, and you only need to buy the uh, office coffee division. But you got to take all my assets. you got to take all my equipment. Um, and uh, I'll sell you my customer list, and uh, we'll just do an asset sale, which, of course, is you know music to uh, a buyer's ears, right? Um, and literally on that call, uh, he was a pretty cool guy. He's like, so I don't know, what do you want for it? <laughs> and I just threw out a number and he was like, okay, so like, I'll, I'll get my team to call your lawyer. Thanks. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, so that was, um, that was March, uh, March or beginning of March. And, and we had a, a signed money in the bank by May 17th. Wow. Okay. So I want to just press pause here for a second because there's a lot to unpack there. Gotcha. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you call the CEO, the Canadian head of Compass Group. And so how did you arrive at a number? Let's start there. He asked you, what do you want for it? And you threw out a number. Yeah. Where, where yeah. I, I, I took the old SIM and kind of doctored it. Um, with new numbers and, uh, and, and really made the argument. I mean, nobody knew that, that uh, um, you know, COVID was going to last that long, but, uh, but basically just made the argument that this is kind of just a dip and let's, let's kind of park, um, you know, the abnormal one or two bad years that we're going to have, and it's going to kind of bounce back. And, you know, we, we've got legacy sales and legacy customers, so they're all going to come back. Um, and uh, um, what's nice about the office coffee division too is, Having the equipment in um, an office is, is like planting your flag, right? So, you know, we're the incumbent, even though they're not buying right now. And, and they're sophisticated. He knew that. He, he knew he was, he, he's, he's out trying to buy up. Uh, what I've heard lately is they've bought over 30 companies in Canada. So luckily, we were just on that list. But we were a little bit of a different animal. Um, and uh, so coming up with a valuation, I, I just kind of took the old SIM and kind of uh, shot high and, uh, and, and they were happy with it. So I think, I think he just had money to, to spend and, 
and we kind of were close enough to fit the bill and there wasn't a lot of negotiating. So, so you took the old SIM, which had numbers from the pre pandemic numbers related to the coffee business, yes. gross margin, profitability and so forth. And, and so do you remember roughly what you would have been, did, did you, in, in, in the first go around in 2019, did you place a value on the coffee business independently of the entire piece or was it like, did yeah. you get a sense of what you, what you, yeah, wanted? the new, the new SIM then stripped out the office supplies, um, yeah. and, uh, and just had this one division. So of course the numbers were lower and different. And, and now, you know, when, when you go to sell, you know, pre-COVID, the, the sim looks like here's where we are today, but really we're trying to sell future growth. So we want sure. you to pay for future growth. You know, try and pull that stunt. Um, so the new sim was, okay, let's strip out the office supplies. And uh, although our sales today are in the toilet, future sales will bounce back to the run rate that we had before. Uh, and uh, so we, we sold not necessarily future growth, but future, you know, recapturing post COVID. And what, so, so when you said our, you know, our revenue, is, you know, in, you know, when you're negotiating with compass group in 2021, your revenue would have been dramatically lower than 2019. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Sinking and sinking. Yeah. It, it, it's still dropping at this point. Well, it kind of bounced back. It, like, like, you know, right out of the gates, we dropped like 85% in sales, but then we bounced back, you know, 50, 60%, you know, started, started climbing up, but then it started plateauing a bit. Yeah. So you're still 50% off your 2019. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is are, are like, how did, like, did you get him to value the 2019 number or the 2021 number? Uh, we, we took uh, past performance and, and kind of forecast that forward and, and, basically said, let, let's not look at the COVID numbers. Uh, let's look at pre-numbers, um, strip out the office supplies. And he bought and, that argument? <laughs> uh, dude, we, we were ridiculously fortunate uh, <laughs> that, uh, oh, man. you know, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a very small deal in comparison to some of the other deals they were doing. And, and, and I think this is great for your listeners. Like, I, I've, I've told the story to a few people and heard similar cases like, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone. You never know what the other side is is doing or what they need. So for for us, although it was great timing and, and you know, we had a you know, we were kind of over a barrel, on the other side, it's like, you know, we got to spend this money and and we're just trying to acquire as many competitors as possible. And back to my early, what made me feel better was when we tried to do a roll-up and how hard it was to to buy a company. And what I've heard since having this relationship with them that, of course, we weren't, we're the ugly duckling, right? They didn't want us. They had already asked every single other player in our territory, can I buy you? Can I buy you? And most of them said no. And of course, here we were, data vault ready, sim ready, you know, I'm not going to say fairly sophisticated, but I knew how the game played. I had my team in place. And that's why we were able to get a deal done in, in like, you know, 90, we, we were, we were easy we were an easy deal uh, that, uh, you know, a lot of times I think that the big players that come in and why they don't want to do anything less than 10 or 20 million is because it costs the same for them to do a $2 million deal in, in the due diligence and everything. So because um, the advice I was given is like really show them that, that you're ready to go 
what was what was the multiple of revenue you asked for in that conversation when he said what do you want? I think it was point seven. Was I think it was about point seven five still. Point seven five of of your coffee or specific revenue. Yeah, exactly. So and, I tried not to deviate off our earlier sim. I just basically stripped out that division and 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 remarketed it back. But also right. now as a asset sale, not a share sale. And and to be clear, the revenue was. Uh, adjusted, so to speak. It wasn't the actual revenue that was 50% down. It was like under normal circumstances, we should be about this. And exactly. Here was our pre-run rate. Uh, here's where we expect to be in the future. So you're buying future sales kind of let's, let's just park this, you know, deviation. Um, and, uh, you know, as it turned out later, finding out what was, what was of value to them mm-hmm. um, was one, you know, they were on a mandate to get deals done. They had a war chest of money. They needed to get deals done. And now I found out that a lot of the other players in, in Vancouver had said no. So thank goodness for us. They were desperate for people. Uh, and our people were fantastic. Of course, you know, uh, you know high-functioning high corporate culture, um, which they were really struggling with um, in, in assimilating. Imagine, you know, they, they had a 100,000 square foot warehouse and they're trying to plug in 10 companies. And it was a shit show. Uh, so uh, they uh, they really wanted our people because our people already, you know, did huddles and everything, you know, high high functioning culture. So and and it's turned out well for them that way. Uh, and uh, and we had some marquee customers. What was the impact of taking an asset sale for you? Uh, you know, for folks listening, you can either sell the assets of your company or the shares. When you sell your shares, the buyer assumes your liabilities as well. You're effectively selling the entire company, including its ongoing liabilities. Whereas when you sell the assets, um, you're, you know, the, the acquirer is just buying literally the, the assets that could be your customer list, your brand name, et cetera. Yeah. What was the implication for you personally to sell your yeah. assets versus your shares? You know, I I'd say that um, early on, um, I didn't really, un- I-, I was so fixated on a share sale. Uh, everything I'd been told was, you know, oh, you got to do this and it's, it's the only way to go. And um, uh, obviously it wasn't an option for me. Uh, but what I found was, especially working with a really good accountant, I don't even understand how half this stuff works. I know that for the buyer, they just love asset sales. There's all these deductions and depreciation and all that great stuff, right? It's no brainer for them. Um, but on the, um, you know, personal, uh, finance side or, or accounting side, I don't, I don't understand how all of it works, but, but, uh, it, it's not as bad as I expected. Like, you know, I expect these huge tax bills, but I don't know, you hire good people and somehow they're able to make sure they leverage all the right things. So, you know, we, so I, uh, let me explain that I still own Likey. I still own the company. I own all the shares. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's a kind of a value there. Um, but because of that, there's a lot of money that is still inside the company that, and of course you could take it out with dividends. That's a typical way, but there's other, there's, there's other, at least in Canada, there's other ways that are, are very similar to, uh, there's other ways that are very, very, very low taxes. Uh, so we've started executing on that. Okay, and the tax is going to be different in, in each country, so we'll we'll kind of yeah. move on from that. But t- talk to your accountant about the implications, the after-tax implications 
of selling your shares versus your assets. But if you still own Likey, what is to stop you from setting up as a competitor tomorrow using the same website? Yeah, no, there's non-competes and NDAs and and things like that. What what's actually funny with the with the um, uh, with Compass is um, it's it's only for a hundred kilometer territory, so so I could actually go reset up, but I don't want to be in that business. What was your reaction to executing that sale? Um. So, so, well, there, there's two different emotions and, and, and again, great advice I got from people is, you know, don't count your chickens till the eggs are hatched, whatever that, you know, deals fall apart all the time or get ready for the other shoe to drop. Right. You know, they're going to come back and ask for something different. So I think that was good. And, and I made sure with my wife to say, this is not a done deal. This is only, this is only the first phone call of many to get it. You know, when you get the check in the hand, so, so I, I really preface that with my wife for sure, right? Get the check in the hand. So it was, uh, um, in, you know, suppressed excitement, definitely. Um, to, to Did walk the check through. come through in May as promised? Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that day, it was surreal, right? Like, uh, um, I didn't even go, I, you know, the, the, where you go down to the lawyer and they kind of hand you the check and you look at it or walk out of there or something and high five. Like that never happened. They, they just deposit it. And you just, you know, you're clicking refresh, right? <laughs> you're like, holy shit. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, so, but all the money was inside the company too. Uh, so I, you know, you know, you gotta try and figure out how to get it out of the company, but, uh, that's another story, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty cool on, on that. And Calvin, to be clear, was it, uh, 100% cash upon the sale of the assets or did you take portion of your proceeds in an earn out? Yeah, that's a great for your listeners that, uh, so my buddy with his company, he chose a way higher multiple and he went really strong on the earn out side. Unfortunately, um, you know, the, the, the taking 10 different off supply companies and rolling it into one. So it's turned into a bit of a shit show there. So he's really stressed about his earnout. Uh, I just, I decided to go with a cash deal. I'm sure I could have negotiated probably higher with an earnout, but many times people would tell me, they said, treat an earnout like the gravy. Uh, don't ever expect to get the earnout. Um, if you do great, but, uh, don't, don't count on it as part of a deal. Try and, you know, cash in hand is cash in hand. Yeah. But in your case, it was hundred percent cash. So it was, it was cash and there's a holdback. I've got some money coming, you know, this spring or something. So they do a bit of a holdback that's tied into your, your reps and warranties and things just so that things go yeah, That's pretty common. Yeah. Like yeah. Or so 10% or something like that. Uh, yeah, actually it's lower. I mean, that's where your lawyer comes in too, right? So he ground that down. I think it was like 3% or something. It was pretty low. So just a small portion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was okay, good. So let's move to the office supplies. So lower okay, margin. So, so, so now, now my dilemma is, uh, we looked at, well, can we run this business just on the office supplies? The ugly duckling that we haven't put any effort into for the last couple of years. And, uh, who's going to buy this? So, um, I went back to the to the phones and and myself and and actually some other small independent office supply people. Uh, I ended up kind of it's kind of like date, you know you're dating multiple people or something like that. So I had like three or four conversations on the go 
Um, and I really wanted to go with a small group. These two guys, and they were scrappy. And and uh, with a small group, are you referring to an M and A professional or a no, no, no? Uh, uh, people to buy it, right? Okay. So, so I just called up. Uh, so I called up a large competitor in my area, an independent large competitor. Uh, unfortunately, they were having significant problems. They had just moved into a brand new big facility. You know, blew their wad, and then COVID hit. So they said, "Happy to take you on, hundred percent earnout." Okay, but they had a big sales team. I thought, ah, okay, worst case, right? Um, I don't want to flush it. It's still worth, you know, some good money. And there was another. But it's a pretty small business at this point because you, <clears throat> it was only a third of your revenue to begin with, and revenue is off fifty percent. So like. Yeah, yeah. Down. So uh, yeah, we were we were probably down under two million in top line. Okay. Uh, even even low even lower than COVID, but you know, it's not now. I'm trying to sell like a two million dollar business. Yeah. Uh, yep. Less than that even. And uh, so there was a small group, two guys, uh, independent guys, and they'd done really well. Um, and uh, so we were quite far along with, with them. But at the same time, somebody we had an LOI with um, prior, which was a large national office supply uh, company. And uh, um, it took them, it, it, I think they were interested from the get-go, but these big companies are just so big. Like, you know, I'll get back to you in two weeks and then, you know, say, hey, uh, we talked with our executive team. We brought up in a meeting. Yeah, we're interested. Um, send us something, right? I mean, like everything is dragged out and dragged out. But I had to, uh, you know, I, I basically had to almost do the deals in parallel. So this is still March. And by uh, by the end of June, we were handing over the coffee business. So our, our business as a single source, as our website and everything was going to look entirely different. So... Um, we needed to basically, you know, make an announcement to our customers that if you want off supplies, go there and you want coffee, go there. Like we, we tried to time it out to the day. Uh, so I had to do a deal pretty quick. Um, luckily enough that, um, the, the large, uh, office supply, national office supply guys, uh, they were, uh, transitioning into, uh, Western Canada and, and looking to build up some sales. So the timing again, it, it couldn't have picked a better timing that they were looking for. They, they had just hired three or four salespeople to, to go after the market in the West and they could plug in our en entire account base. Um, and, uh, and off they, off they go. And, so. and again, same questions, you know, multiple of revenue deal structure, earn out, like what, uh, that, that, that one was, uh, I'd say it, it was kind of a 50, 50 deal. I, I was again, you know, prepared. So 50% cash, um, I'd say it was like half revenue or something. It was, it was a lot, lot lower deal, leaner deal. Uh, cause the margins there too. 50% of revenue, uh, 50% of revenue and then 50%, you know, cash and then 50% earnout. and yep. as it's turning out. So, so the earnout. Uh, I didn't want the earnout to start, you know, last summer because I, I hope COVID would end. So the earnout actually started uh, January for one year on a you know percentage of sales kind of idea and things. But uh, but they're struggling. I, I'm probably not going to get anything on the earnout. They're they're mm -hmm. not going to hit their targets. So, but but again, I was warned up front. Like anytime you do an earnout deal, don't count on it. So mm -hmm. so it would have been nice. It would have been. Were you nice. able to make the same? case to the office supply uh, acquirer that you know use look at my pre 2020 numbers to estimate our revenue 
kind of, yeah per, per, pretty much i mean you know i had a what's what's kind of no i can't say that no it's my loi i was gonna say who they who they kind of were and why they knew our sales yeah, um yeah. so they they knew a lot about us and 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 who you know our run rate and things so they're pretty sophisticated they, they knew that it was okay numbers to to, to work with because they assumed uh, but it was again coming back. yeah yeah exactly and and they were expecting it to come back too uh yeah, and to be clear for our listeners, we can't name the national office supply company, but you know. Yeah, I'm uh, in the middle of an earn up with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they'll remain nameless. But I mean, uh, for, for your listeners, so I mean, it, it's hard to answer your questions because yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of this is, was kind of a moving target. That I mean, I didn't want to look desperate, but you know, you're, you're trying to just do a deal, which it was weird with the with the M and A people that I had for because I was kind of behind the scenes and they were doing a lot of negotiating and things, so which was. I don't know. It's, it's two different ways to do it, but I mean, literally I was on the front lines, just kind of hashing a deal out. I I've heard some people just do it on a napkin over a lunch. Right. So you can do a deal almost any way, I guess. I asked this question at the very beginning of our conversation and, and you said, you know, uh, I'll come back to that because I want to give you a bit more detail about the actual sale. But my question was, did you ever think about shutting down the office supply business to focus exclusively on the kitchen piece, the, the coffee and so forth. And I guess my actual question now that we've heard the entire story is if you had it to do over again, if you could rewind the clock, say 10 years and go yeah. back to 2010, would, would you have shut down the office supplies to focus on the coffee side? Yeah, you know, you know I, I don't think we would have just because our, you know, our brand recognition was all about single sourcing. So it was kind of our claim to fame. But in prepping something to sell, the multiples in the office coffee business um, were much greater. Um, and then looking back on acquisitions and roll ups and things, um, and although the office supply industry in the States is going through a massive uh, roll up um, itself right now. Um, you know, just knowing what business you're in and which one's probably more profitable. So, um, you know, kind of to answer your question, I guess if I had the opportunity without a whole lot of damage to, to wind down the office supplies, uh, then, you know, focus on a core business with higher margins and, and better multiples of, of selling. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, question. We can't really answer, but it's fun to look back in hindsight to know, uh, because each business had such different you know, strengths and weaknesses, obviously. Uh, yeah, things, I'm sure. Very challenging. I, I think I think what I learned from it and moving forward with any other business is is uh, you know exactly exactly what your title is, right? Built to sell. If you're going to build something, ultimately you want to sell, then you know figure out who your buyer is, and then if you add a new product or service or line or or even move into a new territory or something like that, is, is that enhancing or is that detracting? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Hey, listen, uh, let's do our lightning round of questions. This is where okay. I would love to get your unvarnished uh, knee-jerk reaction to a couple of uh, questions that we've got cooked up for you. You ready to go? Okay, let's, let's try this. What is the most questionable stroke slimiest tactic an M&A uh, acquisition acquirer tried to pull over on you or tried to use on you? Oh, slimy or something like that. 
you know, uh, over, overall, what jumps to mind is just people um, purposefully dragging their feet, like using, uh, using time to their advantage, uh, knowing they can put the screws to you. So, you know, there's lots of times that's happened, right? Yeah. But biggest mistake you made in selling? Biggest mistake? Uh, <laughs> not foreseeing COVID. Well, that's kind of silly, but, you know. <laughs> Yeah, pursuing, you know, once once you're into it, I don't know. I don't know if it was the right move or not to to pull it off the table. We were had a lot of momentum going and you know, all I needed was I getting greedy, you know, did I need to just restructure? All we had to do was do what I did, you know, myself, split the company up, don't get so hung up on uh the the share sale versus assets and just get a deal done because we had a lot of people at the table. So probably strike while the iron's hot. What was the lowest emotional point for you in the selling process? Uh, during the sales process, uh, just just I don't know. I just I just lived in a in a state of of fear that if I couldn't get a deal done, just waiting for a no. To every time the phone would ring, or you hear from, you're like, oh god, this I'm one one phone call away from. Because at that time with the COVID thing, it was basically bankruptcy or get these deals done. Highest point during the selling process. This is going to sound weird, but post-sale. So now we've transitioned the customers over pretty well. Uh, all the staff is gone. It's my kids. I have a 16-year-old and 18-year-old that kind of grew up through the business too. It's summertime. We're trying to wind down our warehouse, a big warehouse, right? You know, and, and I was really looking forward to this, you know, the moment in Cheers where they shut the lights off in the last episode, right? So I literally was in, in there. Um, you know, I sold everything right down to the broom. You know, we had to take down the racking. I saw the forklifts. I was putting stuff on Craigslist. And it was like this, it was kind of like this bootstrapping moment from the days of when I started. I was like the last guy standing and you're like cleaning the carpets. And I loved it. <laughs> you know? And it was like, wow, this is like, because a lot of people said, well, it's going to be really emotional. And, and it wasn't. It was kind of a, a closure over the summer of just, you know, taking the stickers off the door and winding everything down. And, and, and I had a really good time. <laughs> Trophy you bought yourself to commemorate the win. Yeah, nothing. Uh, well, it, it's nothing tangible. It's, I can't remember the exact quote that I, I read. It's, you know, there, there's power, there's money and things, but th the most valuable thing is time. So like just, just sitting, you know, I don't know. Nobody needs me. No, you know, that's what we said at the beginning of the call, right? You're like, how's your time? I'm like, my time's great. You know, I got other projects I'm kind of working on, but the value of time, you can't buy time. It's really hard to buy time, I guess. Sleeping well said. in. Yeah. Great. Well <laughs> Speaking of what you're up to now, point people to uh, where they can reach out to you uh, I would be remiss, remiss in not asking you specifically about Club Need. Can you just give us a yeah. description of that? Yeah, super excited about that. So within uh, within Likey, we kind of spun off this kind of charity component uh, in Nicaragua. And and what came out of that was this, this Club Need uh, travel adventure company um, where people wanted to come down and build homes in Nicaragua. So we, we bring down 
you know, executives and a lot of EO people have come. People bring their teenage kids to show them what real poverty is all about. Um, so I'm kind of spooling that up um, to do uh, to do more trips. So our signature trip is is Nicaragua, but but funny enough, we've also done some forum retreats uh, for for forums, and, and kind of our signature trip there is kind of like if you've seen the Amazing Race. Yeah. So uh, so one we've done several times called the Maui Challenge, and these forum groups they they just fly in, and we tell them to bring a backpack, and we own them for four days. And uh, they're just like, you know, GPS coordinates, things like that. They're just running all over the island for four days and, and, uh, and, and loving it. So I think we'll, we'll spin that up a bit more. That's really cool. So the charity, the club need, the charity, the, how, how is that a charity? How, how does it raise money? What does it oh, raise money for? Yeah. So, I mean, we're not actually raising money or a charity um, so much as we bring people down and, and show them. This is an area called Crystal Ray, which is an open pit garbage dump. There's about 10,000 people that live around that in sheer poverty. So, so we bring down groups to build homes, but also if, if they want, uh, they can sponsor some kids, send them to school. Um, and, uh, um, we're kind of more of a facilitator than actually collecting money. So as an example, one, one EO guy, um, uh, he has a large construction company and he, he says, you know, I just love this idea of this one for one water thing. Um, you know, he does projects that are in the millions. He said, wouldn't it be great if, if in the pitch, he says, you know, Hey, this $8 million job that we're doing, we'll donate uh, you know, 8 million liters of safe, safe clean drinking water. And then on the day that we hand over the building to you or something, we'll give you this plaque you put on the wall. He said, but I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to facilitate that. And so that's where we've kind of gotten involved. And, and, uh, this construction company just sends us the money and then we make sure that it is, uh, is spent accordingly, but they don't get a tax receipt right now. So it's kind of unsophisticated, but anyways, we're helping to support this community. And that's, and that's clubneed.org. Yeah, clubneed.org. So, uh, so running, running some trips down there. Awesome. And if people want to reach out to you otherwise or on social, what, where, where would you point them towards? Um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Calvin Johnson, LinkedIn's a good place. Um, so, you know, I kind of do a little bit of stuff on the side. I've got this uh, website called Workplace Happiness, workplacehappiness.com. And uh, so just pre-COVID, like I said, you know, I just started doing some workshops and and uh, public speaking and, and things like that on on happiness in the workplace. Kind of a kind of a fun gig on the side. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, Calvin, we uh, we put all that in the show notes at builtthecell.com. Thank you so much for doing this. It was great to hear your story. I'm glad it worked out in the end, yeah. not without a, uh, a few twists and turns <laughs> in the road. <laughs> exactly. We are so like unbelievably fortunate, I tell you. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you were. I'm glad you shared the story. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Calvin Johnson. If you're wondering how to support the show, the best thing you can do is give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're there, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Today's show was produced by Haley Parkhill. Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for handling audio and video engineering. And thank you to the entire community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. I'll be back in your earbuds next week. Thanks for listening.